Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. Welcome to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. You are joined as always by me, Geordie Morrison, and Dr. Raylia Liu, CREI Fertility Specialist. Welcome, Raylia. Hi, Geordie. Earlier this week, Raylia put a call out on her Instagram asking for your questions about ovulation, something we get questioned about all the time. And I have to say, Raylia, this is the most responses we've ever seen for a podcast episode. It just goes to show that a lot of women don't really have the education needed at a young age to figure out when we are ovulating. I think it comes back to the fact that a lot of our sex education is around how not to get pregnant and when there are several years between when we have that in high school and then try to get pregnant, we really don't understand a lot about our own bodies. Let's start at the very beginning. What is ovulation? Ovulation is the release of a mature egg. So it's definitely necessary for a woman to get pregnant um, through natural means uh, that she does ovulate. And when everything's working as it should with a good menstrual cycle rhythm, ovulation happens but once a month, usually in the middle of the menstrual cycle And it's quite magical how the coordination happens in the body. When we have our period, it's the end of a menstrual cycle. And really, you have to have ovulated to have a true menstrual period because you have to have had a a hormone rise and then that hormone rise fall down to an adia. And that's what brings on a period when the progesterone falls back down to an adia. In the cycle... Our brain talks to our uterus and our ovaries. And what happens is the brain registers an idea, so a low point of estrogen and progesterone when a woman is having a period. And that stimulates the brain to release a hormone called GnRH. Its other name is gonadotropin-releasing hormone. And that in turn talks to the pituitary gland, which some people know as the master gland at the base of the brain. And the pituitary gland, in a pulsatile manner, releases follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And the body is so clever, the brain signals the pituitary gland in such a way that it releases the exact amount of hormone most of the time to call upon only one egg to ripen. And that is a, a rise in that hormonal production. And then when the egg signals back, hey, I'm, I'm coming with a bit of estrogen that's produced by the ovary ripening the egg, that signal from the brain dampens down and that's what prevents more than one egg ripening for most people in most cycles. And that's something that happens in the human (laughs) because our species has developed most of the time to have one baby at a time and that's why we release one egg in a cycle. 
occasionally it can happen that there's more than one egg that naturally ripens and that's how situations like twin pregnancies with fraternal twins can happen in a natural context but most of the time it is just one egg that the body calls on to ripen. There are several other eggs in the wings that might have been called on to ripen if the hormonal signals were different and that's one of the ways that IVF works actually by changing the body's natural hormone uh, signals and using the follicle stimulating hormone as a drug in higher doses. That's how we call on extra eggs in an IVF context or an egg freezing context. In a natural context, the follicle, which is the structure in the ovary that is ripening the egg, also has a hormonal role. So it makes estrogen in the first half of the cycle and then it flips a switch and makes progesterone in the second half of a cycle. It's really amazingly clever. Estrogen rising in the first half of the cycle has many functions in different areas of our body and our brain. It makes us sexually interested. It makes our cervix produce fertile mucus. It makes the lining of the uterus thicken and become cushiony, ready to prepare for a baby. And your oestrogen peak happens just before you ovulate. And it is actually that oestrogen peak that is a signal to the brain that the egg is almost ripe. So that oestrogen builds and builds and builds. And once it hits a threshold, the brain hears that signal in the body and it releases a very big surge of luteinizing hormone. And that is sometimes known as an ovulation surge. And that's why sometimes fancy ovulation predictor kits have a flashing face and then a solid because it picks up the oestrogen first and then picks up the LH. And then the egg is like a cascade reaction. Ovulation's not a, a moment in time at exactly the same moment as the surge. It, it happens later. But approximately 36 hours or so after you have that peak surge of LH, the egg is released. I would caution women, you know, to reflect on the simple fact that the human body is not a machine. And while we say, toss phrases around like clockwork menstrual cycle, really everybody is different. And in fact, every cycle is a little bit different. And when we release the egg from the surge is gonna be slightly different every time. But approximately 36 hours-ish after you surge is when you'll generally ovulate. The egg, I say, is like a shooting star in that it has a 24-hour period of time where it can be fertilized. And so you might think, oh, God, how do humans survive as a species? <laughs> you know, we've got this bleating window of opportunity. But actually, how we've adapted is sperm can stick around for quite some time. And the idea to try and time natural conception optimally is to have sperm there waiting for the egg so that when the egg does release, the sperm are there waiting, ready and able. And so having sex before you ovulate to try and get pregnant is actually a much better bet than trying to time sex for the exact moment of ovulation. That's a much harder thing to do and it's not necessary. After you do ovulate, so after the egg has been released, and hopefully if you're trying to conceive 
maybe it's had an opportunity to say hi to a couple of sperm. In terms of what happens next, the follicle of the ovary switches gears into progesterone production and it can do that only for a short amount of time without some help. And another amazingly clever adaptation of the body is that the help that it needs is the stimulus of pregnancy hormone made by the implanting embryo. That part of the menstrual cycle between when you ovulate and potentially when you find out you're pregnant or when you get your next period is called the luteal phase. And the reason for that is the corpus luteum, after which the part of the cycle is named, is the sac or follicle that released the egg and it's now switched gears to make progesterone. Progesterone is a pulsatile hormone, so it's released in pulses and levels are not constant. Blood tests can be a bit inaccurate in that way and if you do five different blood tests on the same day in the same person after ovulation, I guarantee you'll get five different readings. So we do know that progesterone, however, is important to support a pregnancy. Sometimes some women don't make enough progesterone and in that situation a pregnancy can fail and it's called luteal phase defect. It's actually quite an uncommon situation though. So while for some people that can happen, most of the women who I've met who've suspected in themselves of a luteal phase defect actually don't have one. It's also important to realise that not every cycle is the same and if you've had a funny cycle where one follicle was a bit faulty, it doesn't mean that in the future all your cycles will be that way. But it is very hard for women uh, really in this stage of the cycle when they're trying to have a baby because there's not a lot they can do and they just have to wait. And in IVF, the luteal phase is often called the two-week wait, waiting, <laughs> waiting to see what happens. The progesterone hormone will naturally fall if there isn't a pregnancy to rescue the corpus luteum. And if that pregnancy hormone doesn't come to the rescue, most women will have a luteal phase somewhere between 10 and 14 days. So from when you ovulate, the time to expect the next period for most people falls in that spectrum. And that's really ovulation in a nutshell. We got a lot of questions about how to know if you're ovulating. So it was how do you know? What's the most common sign? Is there a reliable way to track? You know, those ovulation kits that you mentioned before, how do they really work? What do you have to say about people wanting to understand their bodies a bit better and to know the signs of when they're ovulating? It's kind of two different questions. How can you tell you're ovulating? If you have a regular menstrual cycle off all hormonal medicine, that means you're ovulating. There's no other explanation because it's the hormones of the ovulatory cycle that make that happen. In terms of how do you know when you are ovulating specifically in a cycle, it's really more important to know approximately than exactly for reasons that I mentioned before that having sex before the egg is released is more important than trying to have sex at the moment it is released. Signs that you are coming into your fertile window is probably a better hint for those who are trying to have a baby. Signs that you can learn about your body are when you become a bit interested in sex, often you feel a bit more libido as your estrogen rises. As your estrogen rises, 
you feel if you insert a digit into the vagina and touch your cervix, you can sometimes detect fertile mucus. Fertile mucus, a lot of women, I think, mistake it for discharge or mistake discharge for mucus. Really, when we talk about fertile mucus, it's not copious. It's not like a whole heap of mucus. But what it is, is clear. Some people call it egg white mucus. And I encourage you to think of a raw egg, not a cooked egg. Because there's a lot of whitish discharge in the vagina for different reasons. And that's not what we're talking about. It's really clear. So fertile mucus is very clear. It's got a very stretchy property. So if you kind of have some mucus, but even a tiny amount between two fingers and stretch the mucus out, then it will actually stretch in a really impressive way. Uh, So it does hold its stretch. And that's one of the properties of fertile mucus. So if you notice that, or if you can train yourself to notice that, that's a sign not that you've ovulated, but that an ovulation is coming. Some women feel a bit of discomfort as the follicle, which has the egg in it, swells and then bursts, which is what happens with ovulation. It's a bit like a pimple bursting, obviously, <laughs> different image, but it's not, it's not a pus-filled structure, it's a fluid-filled structure, but it does burst and it becomes a bit sore before it bursts and, and when it bursts, a bit of blood releases into the tummy along with the egg and that can hurt a little bit and many women when they realize where they are in their cycle can actually feel it if they attune to their bodies. That pain in the medical world has been named middle schmerz which means middle pain meaning the middle of the menstrual cycle and so some women know that they're either about to or have just ovulated by that sensation. Sometimes women feel it more on one side than the other And sometimes even when a woman ovulates from the opposite side, the pain actually is felt on the other side. And that's because the peritoneum, which is the lining of the pelvis and the ovary um, as well, they're not as specifically innervated as our skin is. So sometimes we can't really tell exactly where that sensation is coming from, but we do feel it. So those are some, some signs that things are happening Some women are fans of temperature charting. That is not a very accurate method. In fact, it's not accurate at all at predicting when you are about to ovulate, which is the important time to have sex. But it does actually kind of have a usefulness in that your temperature rises after you start making progesterone, so after you've ovulated already. And women who carefully take their basal body temperature can tell that they have definitely ovulated because their progesterone rising has encouraged a temperature rise that they've observed. So that can be quite helpful for women who have a slightly irregular cycle and are having sex every second day in case they might be ovulating because they can say, okay, we've, we've, we've put in a pretty good effort. We don't have to have so much sex anymore. The kind of um, horse has bolted. Detection kits or OPKs of ovulation predictor kits are designed to try and use the hormone signals in the urine to tell us what's happening in our ovaries. And just remember that for hormones to get into the urine, they have to have been filtered by the kidneys from the blood first. 
So when the LH surge is detected by a rise in the urine, it's already happened a couple of hours ago at least because that's when it was released into the blood. So that's quite a good thing in women who are able to detect it. A trick is that because of the timing of the body and the pulsatile release of, of LH, it's probably better not to do your OPK first thing in the morning. It's better to probably do it in the afternoon or evening. It's going to be more reliable in terms of the hormone getting to the urine because the hormone tends to be released early in the morning, but it's got to travel from the bloodstream through the filtering of the kidney to the urine. Look, it is a little bit of a scientific method in its own little way if you do it every single day. It also is quite expensive when you do that and you definitely don't need to in order to get pregnant. I think in some ways predictor kits can be a bit anxiety provoking when we kind of have this obsession about it. And if you're able to have sex every couple of days with your partner, it's probably a better bet for a less stressful experience. They do fail women with polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS who have a baseline high LH because they may always have a positive OPK. And in those situations, it doesn't mean you're ovulating. It's just because women who have a polycystic ovary sometimes produce high levels of LH all the time from their ovary. I'd say with PCOS, OPKs probably aren't as, as terrific as if you have a, a more standard menstrual cycle. So other tools to kind of know your body, there are a few devices that are around medical devices, especially when people buy things from overseas where you can test different salivary hormones and you can test even some fingerprint blood tests are now in the market and there are a whole heap of devices that are there to help you measure your temperature, which as we discussed is not very predictive. It's more about knowing you definitely have ovulated in the aftermath. Apps are something that have really come into play a lot in my lifetime. Earlier in my career, nobody charted their cycle on an app. Now it's a very common thing to do. I would just caution women with using apps that the app does not know when you're ovulating. And like I said earlier, you're not a machine. So how you behaved in past cycles is how the app figures out what to tell you based on your past experience. It's not actually giving you any information about your current situation. It's assuming that averages are going to help you figure things out. And the problem with that, especially for women who don't have an absolutely, you know, inverted commas clockwork cycle, is it's a very inaccurate way of figuring out when you're ovulating. So I would really encourage women not to rely on an app or a calendar method a mathematical averaging method of what's happened in previous cycles and focus more on those other methods we talked about, about knowing your own body. And if a woman doesn't have any of these signs that you're talking about, the mucus, the middle schmerz, um, how would they know when to try? It's pretty simple if you have a regular menstrual cycle. So the average woman has, remember that we said a menstrual cycle is the first and most common sign of clear ovulation. So if you have a 28-day cycle, most of the time you're going to ovulate somewhere between, you know, day 12 and day 16. And if you start having sex every couple of days from around day 10, then you're going to cover 
that window if you have sex, you know, three or four times every second day. And if your cycle is regular, I guarantee you getting the timing right. Certainly, getting the timing right can really help women and men reduce time to conception. But if you're doing everything right and you haven't gotten pregnant, it may be for another reason rather than the fact that you're having some kind of problem with ovulation. So I would encourage women who've been trying for more than six months if you're over 35 and definitely more than a year if you're under 35 to come and have a full evaluation of all fertility factors together with your partner and generally we can try and figure out what's going on for you. You talked a bit about PCOS before. Can you ovulate without a period when you've got PCOS? How, how would PCOS be affecting your ovulation? For most women with PCOS, ovulation happens sometimes and it's just not all the time. It's what you call oligoovulation or oligomenorrhea, meaning you have a period not as often as we would like, but you still have them. So that is the situation for most women with PCOS and it's quite frustrating because, you know, for other women, the end of the previous cycle is kind of the prelude to the beginning of the next cycle. And women with PCOS, the end of one cycle where they might have a period might just go into a whole heap of time where they're just treading water and in a holding pattern, not doing anything in terms of the next ovulatory cycle happening. When that happens, you might be stimulated to go into a cycle and, and you know, that might be 40 or 50 days after your last period. And so you may not have another bleed in between because you haven't had that ovulation. And remember, we talked about the fact that it's the hormones released in the events of ovulation that help a period to happen. And so if you haven't had an ovulation, you won't have a period. So many women with PCOS have a frustrating situation where their last period was a while ago and they have no idea when their ovulation is coming. And I would encourage anyone who's in that situation and trying to get pregnant, don't worry about this six and 12 months business, just come and see a fertility specialist because together with a holistic team approach, we can work on diet, lifestyle, use medications to try and help bring on a, a period and then from there a more regular cycle for you. And remember that if you're not releasing an egg, you've got a 0% chance of getting pregnant. And so we, could, we, can, we can make some really major improvements on that for you. At the end of last year, we actually recorded a series called uh, Personalising PCOS. And I probably urge everyone listening who has PCOS and has some questions around ovulation to listen to that series. We really talk about it in a lot of detail. And we've also got past episodes on ovulation induction in a lot of detail, So, which is a technique that's really first line if PCOS is your main concern in terms of having an irregular cycle. PCOS is so common, it affects 1 in 12 women in Australia at the moment. You're not alone and if you do need help to ovulate in that scenario, come and get help straight away. I just want to end on the last few questions which are about ovulation after birth and chemical pregnancies and miscarriages and how does that affect your cycles and your ovulation dates? So big question Geordie. <laughs> After pregnancy, we have natural protective mechanisms that stop us from ovulating for a while. And the amount of time that that lasts for depends on the person's body 
And one thing I tell my patients who might want to have two pregnancies back to back is that I recommend going to see Wendy, our clinical nutritionist at the practice. And I'm sure you'll find some episodes with with Wendy Fideli in our back catalogue. Replenishing the body's resources will help your body feel safe to attempt another pregnancy and your ovulation will come back sooner. So that's a, a really good message. Sometimes women who are breastfeeding and especially if you're quite skinny won't have a period for a long time and that's called lactational amenorrhea. Other women who are feeding might get their period back despite that being the case. So we're all different. And when our body's ready for us to have another baby, our period will generally come back if we have a regular cycle. When women have underlying issues like PCOS, they might go back to their previous situation, which might have not been a regular cycle. So I would say it's really hard to make sweeping generalizing statements. And if you have had a baby and your period isn't back and there's not an obvious explanation like you're currently breastfeeding fully, then it's a good idea to come and see a doctor and have a chat about it, especially if it's been going on for a prolonged period of time, like more than a year. With miscarriage and chemical pregnancies, it's kind of the same. When your body's ready, you'll go into another cycle if you have a regular cycle. It's quite normal for women to have significant levels of stress after an event like a miscarriage, and that can affect when the next pregnancy is really wanted by the body. If our body detects high levels of stress, often our brain shuts off those signals to create a new ovulating cycle, a new ovulatory cycle. And so really being kind to yourself and giving yourself time to heal and to grieve um, is really important. I would say that women in that situation, if you need some support, reach out for some professional help. At our practice at Women's Health Melbourne, we now have a beautiful in-house supportive counsellor, Laurel Gingis. Thank you, Raylia. And great questions today, guys. Thanks so much. I hope that was really informative. And for anyone who is interested in a blast from the past, go back and listen to our episodes called The Old Fashioned Way, How to Have Sex to Get Pregnant 1 and 2. And if you do need any additional help, we have our Lover's Products Smooth Love that was made to help conception. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. 